Let's turn to Genesis chapter 24. I love this chapter. Because in this chapter, God displays for us who he is and how he has steadfast love and faithfulness to his people, to those who are trusting him. And especially, God has steadfast love and faithfulness towards us when we face situations that seem impossible. Because we all go through times when situations seem impossible, right? I mean, I would guess that maybe some of you, in the, in the deep part of your heart, you know that you are gripped by some sin that feels impossible to be freed from. It's just got you. And it's squeezing the life out of you. And you're feeling the spiritual life shrinking. And you feel like nothing can be done. I tell you, something can be done. I hope you'll see that today. I would guess others of you, maybe you're deep in, in debt financially. And the bills keep piling up. And you feel like you're losing ground. And it doesn't seem like anything can change to, to, to reverse the momentum of the direction things are going. It seems impossible. God can change the impossible. I want you to see that today. I would guess maybe some others of you, you are really feeling completely unspiritual, far from God, convicted by your sin. You've, you've tried going to church. You've tried becoming a good person. You still feel just as far from God as before, if not farther. And you feel like nothing's going to change. It's impossible. I've got good news for you today. Something can change, will change, can change today because of God's steadfast love and His faithfulness. You may be facing impossible situations, maybe at work, in your family, with your children possibly, with, with your marriage, or with other friendships. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by loneliness at times, hopelessness, worry. The list just goes on and on, but what I want you to see is all of us go through times when we feel like things are impossible. And what we're going to see in the chapter this morning is that when our situation looks impossible. God wants us to look from our situation to Him and see that He, at that moment, is full of steadfast love and faithfulness, and He will go to work on our behalf. Let's take a look at this chapter. Start with this question. What problem does Abraham face? So here's some background. God had promised Abraham that through his offspring, a child would be born through whom God would bring salvation to people from every racial group in the world. Through one of Abraham's offspring, salvation would come. Salvation, namely forgiveness of all their sins, supernatural heart change, and having our hearts reconciled to God so that for the first time we experience the greatest joy in the universe, Knowing him, loving him, worshiping him. God had promised Abraham, through one of your children, I'm going to bring salvation to people from every nation, tongue, and tribes. That was the promise God had given. But at this point, Abraham has one child. One child. But God had promised multiple children. So even though Abraham just had one child, Isaac, Abraham knew that Isaac needs to get married so there will be more children. So Isaac needs to get married. Abraham wants to find Isaac a wife. And that won't be easy, as we see starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. 
And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servants, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now we're not sure the meaning of that, but that was one way in that culture that they made vows and commitments to each other. So put your hand under my thigh, verse 3, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. So here's the problem. Isaac is living in Canaan. Can we get the map up there? Bottom left. I'm sorry. Yeah, bottom left. Hebron. That's the, all the land of Canaan there. That's where Isaac was living. But all the people in the land of Canaan worshipped idols. So all the potential wives worshipped false gods. That was the problem here. The only godly women are part of Abraham's extended family who lived to the top right in Haran, about 800 kilometers to the north, northeast a little bit, 800 kilometers. So here's the question. How many of those women living 800 kilometers up north are going to be willing to leave their home, their family, their friends, travel to a country they've never been to to marry a man they've never met? How many of them are women? How many would be willing to do that? Not any, right? It seems impossible. That's the problem. That's the problem. Now, you might think, well, maybe Isaac should just move up there. And that's what the servant suggested. But no, God had promised, Abraham, I'm going to give this land, Southland, to you and to your children. So Isaac's got to stay living there. So this seems like an impossible problem. You feel that? Now, how does Abraham respond to this seemingly impossible problem. Look at verses 6 through 8. Abraham said to him, to the servant, I'll read this verse again, see to it that you do not take my son back there, back to the north. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, the land of Canaan, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So Abraham was sure God was going to bring Isaac a son, a, a wife from 800 kilometers north. He knew it. God will send his angel before you. You shall take a wife for my son from there. But he knows his servant isn't as sure, and so to relieve him of any fears, he says, verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. You've done your job, only you must not take my son back there. So Abraham is sure. He relieves the servant's fears by saying, if a woman won't come, you're fine, you've done your job. But Abraham is certain God is going to bring Isaac a wife from there. Now, how can Abraham be so sure? It looks impossible. How can he be so sure? It's because he's trusting God's promise. That's why. Notice in verse 7, he quotes the exact promise God had given him back in chapter 12. 
And he quotes it. To your offspring, I will give this land. Now think about what that promise means. There's two parts to it. One is, God's going to give Abraham offspring, numerous children. That's one part. The other part, God's going to give those offspring the land of Canaan down in the south, 800 kilometers south. And Abraham knows if they're going to have multiple offspring, then that means God's going to give Isaac a wife. And Abraham knows that God wants Isaac's wife to be a godly woman, which is how Abraham knows the servant will bring a wife for Isaac from Haran. That's where the godly women are living. He will bring them down. It's going to happen. Now, let me just give a word here to those of you who are single and would like to get married, and you're maybe starting to wonder, am I going to find someone who's passionate for Jesus to marry? Maybe it's looking impossible for you. Well, I would urge you, look at Abraham's example. He knew it was not impossible. And so let my encouragement be, do not settle for someone who's not passionately following Christ. That can be a great temptation. But don't go there. Don't let that be tempting to you. Look at Abraham's confidence in God's promise. And I would encourage you to memorize Psalm 8411. The Lord God is a sun and he's a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Okay? No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Walking uprightly does not mean perfect. It means you're trusting Jesus. You're seeking to obey him. And when you fail, you confess. And you're back to trusting Jesus, seeking to obey him. That's walking uprightly. Not perfect, walking. Not perfect, confessing. Okay? All right. Now, back to the story. This seems like it's an impossible problem, but Abraham is trusting God's promise because he knows because of God's promise, God's going to bring Isaac a wife from up north. And see, this is what we should do when we are facing impossible situations. Trust God's promise. One of the amazing benefits to us from having Jesus die on the cross and pay for our sins is that because Jesus died and paid for our sins, everyone who's trusting Jesus has all of God's promises being true for them. Before we were trusting Christ, we were under the guilt of our own sin, and none of God's promises could be true for us because all God could do was look upon us with His judgment. He loved us, He cared for us, but because of our sin, He had to judge us. But Jesus died on the cross, just like we celebrated this morning. And the moment you put your trust in him, all your sins were forgiven. And from that moment on, all of God's promises are true for you. Every one of these promises that God gives to his people, God is and will be fulfilling for you. We love to talk about God's promises here, because faith is always focused on a promise. So learn God's promises study God's promises so you understand what God is promising. And then when situations look impossible, trust God's promises. That's why Abraham could say, God will bring a wife for my son from Haran, because he knew that's what God had promised. So trust God's promises. That's what Abraham does. Now, what does the servant do? It's so interesting. Verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. 
Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. That's 800 kilometers north. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Where do you go find women in Haran? You go to the well, okay? That's where they're going to be, all right? We, they appreciated it, women. Okay, verse 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. And show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, by this I shall know that you've shown steadfast love to my master. Okay, so Abraham's servant commits to doing what Abraham called him to do, travels 800 kilometers north-northeast to Haran, but there he is. Now the question is, how does he pick a wife for Isaac? That's a pretty big responsibility. Who's he supposed to take back with him? Seems like an impossible problem. How do you pick? So what does he do? He prays. You see that right here? He asks God for help. And he asks God to show him which, which woman God has chosen by saying, have it be the one when I say, would you give me water? She not only says, yes, I'll give you water, but she also says, yes, I will get water for all your camels. Now, that is not what most women would say. It's not like nine out of ten women are going to say, yes, I'll give you water and I'll water your camels. Because, I looked this up on Google yesterday, a camel, a thirsty camel, I wrote this down, a thirsty camel can drink 135 liters of water in 15 minutes. Okay? Liters, that's like, right? 130, that's one camel. A thirsty camel, 135 liters. Ten camels... I took my calculator, 10 times 135, that's 1,350, right? That's a lot of trips to the well, right? That's just a lot of trips to the well. So it's not like 9 out of 10 women are going to do this, so then I'll just be able to take one and we'll go back. It's like no women would offer to do that. Water your own camels. There's 10 of them, right? God, let, let the woman who I ask for water and she says yes, and who also says I'll water your camels, let her be the one. Because this would be a supernatural sign for a woman to say, hey, why don't I water your 10 camels? I got five hours to carry water, right? So you feeling that? That's what's going on here. So the servant prays and asks God for help. And that's exactly what we should do when we're facing impossible situations. Stop. Put everything aside. This isn't just while you're driving to work or while you're doing the laundry or while you're cooking. You can pray during those times too, but this is where you put everything else aside. Say, God, help. This looks impossible. Give me wisdom, Lord. Give me strength, Lord. What should we do with our finances, Lord? God, give me power over the sin, I pray. Show me how I can be forgiven and reconciled to you. 
And he will do that. Well, we've been, it's through Jesus, I'll just tell you. But, but we pray, we ask God, help, help me, help me. And he will help. So this is what the servant does. He asks God to give him wisdom and to show him who Isaac's wife will be by how she responds to his request and by having her offer to water his ten camels. So the servant prays. Next question, what does God do? Verse 15, before he, the servant, had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who, then the author tells us, was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Now, let's just linger here. Underline that phrase, while he was still speaking. What this shows is that before the servant had even finished praying, God was answering his prayer. Understand this. It's a beautiful picture of how because Jesus has paid for our sins and because we're trusting him, the moment you say, Father, you have God's completely undivided attention right then. Woo! He's right there, completely listening to you, starting to work already. Father, I need... I need, I need to find which wife you've chosen. God's moving. Rebecca, start heading to the well. Get your jar, okay? Change her heart. You're going you're gonna to give him a really strange job. You're going to offer to water his, his camels. God's already, okay, go ahead, servant. What do you need? Yes, okay, yes. Right, so the moment you start praying, God is right there. It's not like God's like, oh, you're, you're, back, you're back asking me again. You know, what, what, you, you prayed yesterday. I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? Twice, in the, you know, two days in a row? Listen, the moment you ask God's help in Jesus' name, you have his undivided attention. That's one of the beautiful pictures of what we have through, through Jesus. And God immediately goes to work, immediately goes to work. Now, we need to trust that he knows best what to do when we pray. We need to trust his timing in how and when the answer comes. But I want, what I want you to see is the moment we pray, you have God's undivided attention. He's loving you. He's glad you're praying, and he's already started to work. And that's what God does here. Rebecca's cunning. Keep going in verse 16. Now, the servant doesn't yet know who she is. We know. The author's told us, but the servant doesn't know yet. So keep going in verse 16. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She hadn't had sexual relations with anyone. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, think about how he might be trembling at this point, right? Here goes. Oh, God, here goes. Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed. He was gazing at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Would she finish watering all the camels? When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel, and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Okay? He knows. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, 
I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor, that's Abraham's brother. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. What does God do? He answers the servant's prayer. Rebecca is a godly woman. She's part of Abraham's extended family. And when the servant asks her for a drink, she does exactly what what the servant had asked God to have her do if she was the one he had chosen to marry Isaac. She offers to give water to his camels. And so God answered the servant's prayer. And that is what God will do for you as well. Whenever you pray from your heart, it's not just religious, perfunctory, ritualistic. This is from the heart. God, I'm coming to you now in Jesus' name. Whenever you pray in Jesus' name, God will always answer and give you exactly what you need. He will always answer and he'll give you exactly what you need. It may not be exactly what you ask for, but that's good news because God knows better than we what we need. And God will always give us, this is what he promises, He will always give us what will bring us the greatest joy, which is joy in Him. God will always give us what will bring us the greatest joy, which is more nearness with Him, more closeness with Him, more joy in Him. He will always do that. And in this case, what that meant was having Rebekah offer to water the camels so that the servant knows this is Isaac's future wife. So the servant prays and God answers. Now, you might be wondering at this point, why would God, the God who is massive in size, who's created a a universe with just billions of light years of galaxies, a God so big, so powerful, so massive, so, so God, why would he listen to the prayer of a little lowly servant and trouble himself to find a wife for Isaac? I mean, why would God deal with these little tiny events on planet Earth? Why would such a big God care about such little details? Why? And that's not just a theoretical question about Isaac, Abraham, the servant. You may be wondering, God is so big, God is so powerful, Would he really care about my loneliness? Would he really care about my job difficulties? Would he care about my financial situation? Would he care about me knowing I'm forgiven for my sins? So let's ask the question, why does God do this? Why does he answer the prayer of this lowly servant in such a detailed way about one spouse for one person? Why? And I think that's answered in these next verses. Start with verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. Isn't that a fitting response when God works? Just worships, praise you. He bowed his head, worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Underline this next phrase. Who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. 
There's the answer. It's because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, Grace Church, I want to encourage you to learn these two words. They occur oftentimes together in the Old Testament, many, many times. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Some versions translate it loving kindness and faithfulness. It's the Hebrew word steadfast love, loving kindness. It's chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. Steadfast love, loving kindness. Steadfast love is another word for mercy. Mercy. And what this means is that in God's heart, He delights in doing amazing good for undeserving people. He delights in doing amazing, over-the-top good, like breathtaking good, like for undeserving people. That's steadfast love. And then faithfulness simply means that God will always do breathtaking good for undeserving people who are trusting Him and His Messiah, Jesus. Steadfast love means God loves to do astonishing good for undeserving people. And faithfulness means that God will always, always do astonishing good for undeserving people who are trusting Him and His Messiah. Now, how can God do that? Let me take, me, take you back again to the finished work of Christ on the cross. There's only one reason God can do this. And it's because of Jesus, what he's already done. He lived a perfectly righteous life, sinless life. He was fully man and fully God, and he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you are joined to Jesus. And his life of perfect righteousness becomes your life of perfect righteousness. And his death paying for sin's guilt becomes his death paying for your sin's guilt. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, you have his life of perfect righteousness and his death paying for all of your sins. And so because of that, from the moment you put your trust in Jesus, forever, God is delighting to do you astonishing good, as undeserving as you are, to display His glory, which brings you joy. You get the, the mercy. He gets the glory. You get the joy. He gets the praise. It's all because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So if you sinned yesterday, can God show you steadfast love and faithfulness today? Yes! If you're trusting Him, if you confessed it, right? If you're feeling far from God right now, will God show steadfast love and faithfulness to you? Yes! If you'll come to Him in Jesus' name and say, look at my unfeeling heart. I feel no love for you. Help me. He's already moving towards you. Before you you stop praying, while you are still speaking, I love this prayer He's saying, I'm going to come. I'm going to meet this person. God's steadfast love and His faithfulness. These are like rock-solid foundation of the Christian life. The finished work of Christ gives us God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. You can always rest there. That's why God does what He does for Abraham, for Abraham's servant in this passage. And that's why you can be confident that when you're facing impossible situations, as you turn to God in Jesus' name, because of the finished work of Christ, His flawless, obedient life, and His death on the cross, God is already moving towards you with steadfast love and faithfulness to help you. 
Now, next, in verses 28 through 49, I'm not going to read, this is a long section, and I'm not going to read this. I'd like to encourage you to read it, but here's what happens. The servant tells Rebekah's family the whole story. God called Abraham to move from here to there. God's blessed Abraham. God's given him these promises. God has given him a son, Isaac. Isaac needs a wife. I, I said, God, if, if, if I'm going to ask a woman about giving me some water, and if she also says, I'll water your camels, let that be the one. And I asked Rebecca, and she said, so he tells them the whole story so that they'll know, oh, okay, okay. So he tells them the, the whole story. But now the question is, how will Rebecca's family respond and how will Rebecca respond? Okay, we, aren't, we aren't out of the woods yet, as we say in America, right? The problem is not solved yet. How are Rebecca's family and how will Rebecca respond? Start with verse 50. Then Laban, that's Rebecca's brother, and Bethuel, her father, answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. They heard the story. They said, This is God. And that's why they say, We cannot speak to you. Bad or good. It's not ours to say yes or no. God has already spoken about this. See how they respond? Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. He got down on his face in front of him and just said, God, you're doing it all. Right? The father and the brother say yes, we're good. All right? This is going to happen. How about Rebekah? Verse 53, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments, gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman, let Rebekah remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. Here's the question. What's Rebecca going to say? And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? 800 kilometers to a land she's never been to, a land she doesn't know, to marry a man she's never met. She said, I will go. Yes. Yes. It's all happening. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. So God causes Rebecca's family, and then God causes Rebecca to say yes. But there's one last question. What will Isaac say? Isaac's got to say here too, right? Okay. Verses 61 to 67. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels, followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. That's the land of Canaan right there. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. That word meditate, he's praying. He's meditating on God's promises, God's word. Maybe he's praying, bring, uh, bring my wife back with the servant. Maybe he's praying for his wife, you know, who knows. He's out there meditating in the field. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. 
And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the fields to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Isaac, I asked God, let the woman who I asked to give me a drink of water, let her offer to water all ten of my camels. Isaac said, no one's going to say that. Yes, but, but Isaac, Rebecca came and she said, yes, this is the one, okay? So he tells her the whole story. Verse 67, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So yes, Isaac knew, this is God. This is God's provision. This is my wife. God has solved the problem that seemed impossible. So what does this mean for us? I hope you see in this passage, this is a beautiful picture of who God is to us in Jesus Christ. God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Because of Jesus' perfect, sinless life, and because of his death paying for sin, all who put their trust in Jesus are covered with Jesus' sinless life and have all of their sins, past, present, and future, completely paid for and forgiven. And so God can devote himself to doing them great good, steadfast love, doing great good for undeserving people. And he can do that all the time for the rest of their lives and forever because he's faithful. So because of Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, commits to being, having steadfast love toward you and being faithful toward you because of Jesus. So when you are facing an impossible situation, you're looking at the circumstances, you're looking at your boss, you're looking at the condition of your heart, you're looking at your spouse, you're looking at your children, you're looking at this friend, you're looking at your work problems, you're, 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 you're looking at your situation. When you face a situation that looks impossible, I mean, see it, own it, be honest with what's going on, but then look at God. And at that moment, God is full of steadfast love, and he is he's passionate about being faithful to you. And as you come to him and trust his promises, and as you pray and ask for his help, he is already moving toward you. He delights to do breathtaking good for undeserving people who trust him and his Messiah. Okay, so I want to emphasize undeserving people because that's all of us, right? We are all undeserving. Being undeserving doesn't keep us from receiving incredible good from God because he is merciful. Just like Luke shared with us, at great cost to himself, the cost of sending his own son and punishing his beautiful, glorious, majestic son on the cross. At great cost to him and at great cost to Jesus being willing to say, Father, I will go. Punish all their sins on me. Don't stop until it's done. And that's why Jesus then finally said, it is finished. Great cost to the Father, great cost to the Son to bring great good to us. So those of you who are facing impossible situations, trust God's promises, learn God's promises, study God's promises, read them, ask God to help you 
trust them and be confident in them and then pray and ask God for help. Strengthen my faith, Father. Forgive me through Jesus. Set me free from this area of sin. Give me a new heart right now like you've promised. Take care of my work situation, which is so difficult. Give me wisdom for our finances. What we, how do we get out of debt? What do we do? Help me with my kids. Strengthen my marriage. I, my, my heart seems so discouraged. Set me free, whatever it might be. And as you are praying, God, with great joy and love for you, is moving towards you as you are praying with everything that you need. You can trust him. So be encouraged, Grace Church. This is our God, a God who's full of steadfast love and faithfulness because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Trust his promises and pray. He is already working as you do so. Let's stand together. I want to pray especially for those of us who are facing situations that seem impossible. Um, so let's all bow our heads. And Father, I want to pray that, that those who are feeling like there's a situation that nothing can be done, it's too late, there's no good answers, they've, they've messed up too much already, Lord, I pray that you would come right now and touch their hearts with this chapter and what you reveal yourself to be in this story, history from Abraham's life. Right now, Lord, I pray, strengthen their faith. Right now, let them lift their eyes from their circumstances to see you. Steadfast love. You delight to do amazing good for undeserving people. Let them see your steadfast love. Let them see your faithfulness, Lord. That you, because of Jesus, will always do amazing good for undeserving people who are trusting you and Jesus. So Lord, right now, let them see you. Let them trust you. And right now, those of you who are facing impossible situations, right now, just pray and say, God, help me. Just in the quietness of your heart, God, help me. Give me wisdom. If, if you haven't yet come to the place where you know you're forgiven by God through Jesus, ask him, Lord, forgive me through Jesus. Save me. Change my heart. Help me to love you. Pour your love into my heart. Strengthen me. He will do that right now. Ask him about your workplace, about your finances, about your marriage, your, your children. Ask him for whatever you need right now. So Lord, come and work, I pray. Strengthen us as a church so that when we face impossible situations, we're like Abraham, trusting your promises. We're like the servant asking for your help and we see you work in beautiful ways. We pray this in Jesus' name.